0: Well, thank you, team, for leading us, and if you've got a Bible, you might want to get that out now. We're going to uh, spend some time in God's Word together. Now some of you are like, okay, well, let's see here. We, uh, we did 1 Corinthians for like 10 years, and then we did our summer series called The Walk, and that seemed to end on All About Him Sunday, and so what are we doing next? They haven't told us yet what we're doing next in our teaching ministry. Would you like to know what we're doing next? Come back next week. And, no, no, I'm kidding. I'm going to tell you at the end of uh, the message here this morning. What we're doing this weekend is we are uh, going to basically just kind of pull back from uh, the, 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 the forest of church ministry and the week-to-week of church ministry, and to, and, to, and, to, and to pull back so that we can not get focused on the trees, but to see the whole big picture. And this is a weekend, we just want to spend some time reminding ourselves and re-envisioning uh, who we are as a church. Who is Bethel Church? What are we trying to do around here? Why are we trying to do it? And how are we trying to do it? What do we think God's calling us to be as a, as a church? You may not know this, but our church, the story of our church goes back uh, to the 1930s when there was a small group of people who uh, envisioned a church in what was then the southern area of the population of Northwest Indiana. And so they began a Bible study, and that Bible study met, and later it became a church, and that church is this church today. And little do I think they could have realized what Bethel Church would become, and how God would use uh, the church over the years. So from the beginning our the vision of our church it began in a bible study it began in god's word and what has happened here over the years has not happened by accident god is sovereign we believe that god is sovereign god does what he does he is the one that is doing it but in his sovereignty god works through ordained means by which he accomplishes his purposes and that's true when it comes to church ministry, that there are things that, that, that are done and there are approaches to ministry and there are priorities and values in ministry that help to shape any local church into becoming what it, what it is. And part of the challenge with that is that those things can very easily sort of slide into the background and not be viewed as that important because, oh, we've done that for so long, we're going to do this now, or they just sort of become a part of the background. And over time, the things that help the church become what it is can be lost, and the commitment to those values can be lost. And so what we want to do is we just want to say, hey, let's remind ourselves of, of the values of our congregation and the kind of church that we want to become and, and has brought us to the place that we are today. So that's where we're going today, and we want to renew this vision as we look to the future of our church and our text to help us with this is Colossians 1, which you've had five minutes now to find. Uh, So if you're still looking for it, I would suggest the table of contents to, uh, to get you there. The book of Colossians, it is not the book of collisions. Although, if you read the book of Colossians, there is a lot of colliding with your worldview that happens because it is a letter that Presents Christ in His glory and majesty right from the beginning in chapter one, who He is, uh, how how God is working everything so that in everything He might have the supremacy, verse eighteen, and supremacy, the 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 preeminence. So it is a it is a book of collisions for sure, but it's called Colossians, and we are in chapter one of this of this letter. And what I want to do is I just want to read the text, do a very quick exposition of uh, the context. And then we're going to focus in on verse 28. So here is what uh, God's word says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. I'm beginning in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Of which I became a minister Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. May God bless his word to our hearts and our understanding today by his spirit. Amen? Amen. All right. What we have here is nothing short of the Apostle Paul's personal statement of of his personal life uh, purpose a vision statement for his life why he's doing what he's doing the big picture of what he sees uh, God calling him to do And you may have a statement like this as well. Sometimes when you go to these business symposiums or conferences, they will say, why don't you take out a piece of paper and why don't you write on that paper, what is your life's purpose? Why are you here? Why are you doing what you're doing? And maybe some of you have that. It'd be kind of fun to stop and say, hey, why don't some of you read those statements? Uh, We're not going to do that. Because there's a big difference between the statement that you write or that I write and the statement that Paul writes And the big difference is when Paul wrote this statement He was inspired by the Holy Spirit and it was written down in scripture and the reason for that is that Paul's statement here Paul's purpose for his life is also God's purpose for the church And he inspired Paul to write that down so that we could look at it and realize and remind ourselves Why are we here? What is the purpose of any local church? And so as we come to it, we see that Paul begins by uh, recounting to them, uh, first of all, his sufferings. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. You can know what's important to you by what you're willing to suffer for, right? And Paul says here, I went through sufferings, you know the sufferings that I went through, but you know what, I was willing to do it for your sake. And by the way, the your sake there is later called the church. Paul's priority was the church, and he was willing then to endure all kinds of persecutions and troubles and sorrows for the sake of uh, the body of Christ. And... He does this, he says, because I have received a calling. I have a stewardship, which he says is to make known fully the Word of God. Paul was a steward of this, and since he saw this as his calling, he was willing to endure trouble in order to accomplish it. He goes on to say what this Word of God is in verse 26. He says that it is a mystery. And when you see mystery in the New Testament, it, it, it doesn't mean uh, like something murky and uh, so, like a, a something secret. What, what the New Testament refers to mystery, it's referring to something that previously had been unknown, but now has been unveiled and revealed. Which is exactly what he says here. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. Well, I wonder, what, what is that mystery? He says... That God's plan of salvation is not simply for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. That God's love and salvation and redemption is extended to all mankind. So that whoever believes in Christ, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter, their sins may be forgiven and they can receive eternal life. And so then he gets to this really cool section in verse 27 where he says uh, that the glory of this mystery is Christ in you. The indwelling Christ by the Spirit in every single one of us, which he says is the hope of glory. The hope of glory. The fact that Christ's presence is with us is a promise that there is a coming glory that is yet to be revealed To us. A glory that someday when Christ returns or when we die that we will experience. And how do we know that that is coming someday? Because Christ is with me in this day. The hope of glory. And then we get to verse 28 where he says this Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Do I need to do it again? Because that's like the central thing right there. He gets, he gets, to the, he gets past all of these, this glorious uh, verbiage and it results in, in, in an action in his life. And by the way, there is, there is always a tie-in to, w- between those two things. The greater that we think that Christ is, the more that we think that the glory of God has been revealed in Him, the more that we realize His majesty and His beauty and the wonder of, of who He is and what He's done and knowing Him by faith, the, the higher we think that he, that he is, the more that we're going to want to sh- talk about it and live out and share and proclaim so that what is the problem in a church when people are not proclaiming, either in word or deed, the reality of a risen Savior? Is the problem that their tongues are tied? That their mouths don't work? Is that the problem? No. The problem is there's too low a view of Christ. Because the, more I, the greater I think that He is, the more I'm going to want to talk about it. And share it and live it out. And serve and all the rest. So that the problem in the American church is not that we are tongue-tied, but that our view of Christ is far too low. And Paul says, my mission in life is not that he would be low, but that he would be high. I'm, uh, I'm all about making much of him. Lifting him up. You know? I had somebody last week say, we love your sound effects. Did that help you? shooting him high in this world. And as he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. How is he lifted up? By fine-sounding words? No, his people seeing him as high, speaking of him as high, and living as if he is high, because he is. Amen? Amen? All right. So those two, what I want you to see is that it is the it is the belief in what he says in verse 27 that empowers the proclaiming in verse 28. May God lift Christ high in this church. May he be supreme. May we see him in his glory that we might be a church that is committed to proclaiming him. I also wanted to point out to you that when it comes to his purpose statement, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'm all about little pet issues that I want to fight about. My goal in life is to draw a lot of followers to me. He's not saying that kind of stuff. He's got one big thing. Proclaiming Christ. And I think that's important because there are all kinds of things that we can fight about and argue about and some of those things are worthy of arguing about because they're important. But at the bottom line is that there is a main thing here and that main thing is a person. It is Jesus and making much of Him. And Paul's purpose in his life is to do that. Let me read that verse 28. Him we proclaim... All right, Paul, how do you do that? Well, he says, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So let's take that apart here. Him is obvious. The Lord Jesus. Proclaim, you know what that word means? It means to speak. I'll bet you didn't know that. It means to speak. To declare, to celebrate who he is. Warning everyone and teaching everyone. So Paul's method for doing this in his proclamation, he says, there's two categories for everything that I'm doing. I'm warning people and I'm teaching people. And that word warning, let's talk about that first. That word warning, some of your Bibles translate admonish. And the word, it, it, here's what it means. It means to set somebody's mind in proper place. Like when we, when we see somebody's life that's spiraling out of control, what, what will we oftentimes say about them? They must have what? They have lost their minds. <laughs> Are you with me today this morning? I don't know. <laughs> Haven't you ever said that about somebody? Just you, Pastor Steve, just you. That's it. This person's lost their minds. Their their thinking is all scrambled up. They're not prioritizing the things that really matter. They're living for stupid stuff. They need somebody to set their thinking aright. That's what admonishing means. It means to seek to, in the mind, in the heart, to set things in their proper order and their proper place. There's a kind of negativity here. With admonishing or with warning. The the other side of this, he says, is teaching. Teaching is the imparting of positive truth. So that admonishing is pointing out what is wrong and teaching is pointing out what is right. And we need both of those, do we not, in our life. We need people that are going to lovingly come to us, and emphasis on lovingly, we're not talking about the, uh, the person who has the gift, the spiritual gift of uh, criticism. Uh, Brother, I'm coming to admonish you, as Pastor Steve said, and then they just cut you off at the knees. We're not talking about that. We're talking about speaking the truth in love, in the context of relationship, where there is obviously care and concern, and it's for the good of the other person. That's, that's what we're talking about. And teaching is the declaration of positive truth, that establishes what is right in the mind and in the heart so that my life can be live, live out the priorities of truth. Teaching declares truth. Like what's going on right now is, is this. I'm hoping that as I talk about this, I'm not just up here talking, but that what is being said, not because it's my truth, but because it's God's truth, is going through the sound waves. Down into the ears and into the mind and into the heart and doing its work inside and shaping what I think is important in life and what I'm doing with my life so that my life can live out the truth of God's Word and the reality of a risen Savior. And teaching does that because the Spirit has ordained that teaching will do that. So, are you with me here? Do you see what we're saying? This is important because Paul's life purpose was very much truth-oriented, and he believed that truth was found in Christ. And that by proclaiming truth, both in the warning and in the, in the, in the teaching, it establishes the, the truth of Christ in the hearts of people so that our lives can be lived out consistent with that truth. Which Jesus said is the way that it is. We all are living out the priorities of our hearts. And we can fake it for a while. We can be posers in church or our little small group or even in the home. But over time, eventually, our lives will reveal the reality in our heart, will they not? So much so that Jesus says this, by their fruit, you will know them. Not by their words, not by their church membership, Not by their uh, uh, momentary uh, acts of, of service, but by the consistent testimony and direction of their life, you will know what is in their hearts. And truth gets down to that level. And it changes us. Now notice, though that these things are not ends in themselves. Because he moves to the purpose statement in verse 28, which he says, that we may present everyone, what's it say? Mature or complete in Christ. Now friends, listen, this is important as well. Because what this is saying is, that the teaching and the admonishing, or the ministries of the church do not exist for themselves. But the, the purpose is not to teach and the purpose is not to disciple. The purpose is what the teaching and the admonishing and the discipling is doing in the lives of the people. The goal is to present them as mature in Christ. The church does not exist for itself. We exist for a larger purpose, a larger goal that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Do you remember there was a game that they used to play decades ago when I was in elementary school? we have any younger? We have a few elementary. I see a few elementary kids here, like you young lady right there. Yeah, I'm looking at you. Tell me, do they still play show and tell? Or did you play show and tell when you were in kindergarten? Yeah? It's still kind of in vogue? Okay. (laughs) Do you know what show and tell is? The older folks here, I don't know if they did it back when you were in your one-room schoolhouse, but when I was uh, in school, we would, the way the game was played, and correct, tell me if it's changed since back when we were doing it, basically the, the way that it worked was you had show and tell day, maybe typically on Friday, and on show and tell day you were allowed to bring something that was of interest to you, or even somebody who was of interest to you. Um, and you know, so kids would bring their salamander or their pet or whatever. I I said to a kid last night in the service, I said, did you ever bring something right in the middle of the sermon? He goes, yeah, a goat. Uh, so I thought, wow, that's, I don't remember things on that scale, but (laughs) so the point of the whole thing is that you bring something and you present it to other people. You show and then tell what the thing is and why it's important to you. What this word here means when it says to present every man mature in Christ, that word present means this, to show and tell every man as mature in Christ. Now what is Paul talking about? He has in mind a future day when we will stand before the Lord. And on that day, Paul's goal is that he might present the Colossians, every one of them, Before the Lord, before God himself, as mature or complete in Christ. Now here's where my last two messages all come together with what Paul is talking about here. And I'm going to go back now a couple of weeks ago. ...to a message that I gave on how to live your life uh, f- to the glory of God. How to live your life to do everything in Jesus' name. And we used a little graphic up here, if you put that there. This graphic, you might remember it, is a it's a picture of everyone's life. And we we all have categories in our life, don't we? And your list may be a little bit different. I just put this up here to represent a common American sort of person... When when I come, when I profess Jesus as my Savior, I, I receive eternal life. I am now forgiven. I have been justified by faith. I am righteous in the eyes of God. However, that is only the beginning of what it means to be a Christian. It is not the end. And we talked about how what it means to be a Christian is that that, that Jesus is established by the Spirit within me. And I warned you. I said Christian, I want you to realize God is determined to take over your life. All of it. And for a Christian, that's good news. Okay? Because we want the lordship of Christ to be extended and projected into every part of my life. And then on all about him, we we looked at Romans 8 which said that God has predestined that we would be conformed to the likeness of his son. Do you remember? And we talked about what that meant was that as the reign of Christ by the Spirit is projected into all the categories of my life so that I am living all those things for Jesus' sake and in the manner that he would have me, that actually what is going on is, is the, the projection of Jesus' reign is the conforming of my life to the likeness of Christ, which God has predestined before time began to do in us. And we said, why would God the Father care that much to go to all this trouble to conform us to the likeness of Christ? And if you remember, I said, look, I went out in the, in the crowd and I was walking around and I said, have you got any grandparents here? And Of course, grandparents raised their hand. Yes. I said, have you got pictures? Oh, yes, we've got pictures. And they started flipping through them and they showed me the pictures and I showed all of you the pictures. And we asked the question, why do grandparents uh, love pictures of their grandchildren? And the answer was because they love the grandchildren, right? And when you love the grandchildren, you love everything that reminds you of them. And so every grandparent fills their house in the hallways with pictures of their kids and their grandkids, and what that meant was, we applied it now to why God the Father is conforming us to the likeness of his Son. Why is he recreating the life of Jesus in us by the Spirit? Because the Father loves the Son, and he loves everything that looks like him. And what God has decided to do is to fill the hallways of heaven and eternity with pictures of his Son. Only these aren't on paper. They are living, breathing, soulless, spiritual, relating, communicating image bearers that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. That we are the pictures of heaven. And everywhere God the Father goes in heaven, he's going to see us and go, "You, you, you remind, you know who you look like? You look like my son and I love him, I love you too. He'll delight to see reflections of his son in the character and in the hearts and in the worship of his people in eternity. Now, how does that relate to Colossians 1? If we are to live and do everything in the name of Jesus, and if God has predestined that we're going to be conformed to the likeness of, of the Son, we find that the purpose of the church and the predestined purpose of God are the same thing. The church exists as a place and a context where God's people are being changed into the likeness of Christ so that someday we may be presented before God as mature and as complete as an accurate reflection of what Christ is like so that the church does not exist so that we can have small groups the church does not exist so that we can have services every weekend the church does not exist for the sermon the church is here as a place to change people into a glorious reflection of the glorious sun. You get that? Now see, I think that's cool when things come together like that. I love it when a plan comes together. And this is God's plan coming together and we see how the church fits into that calling to present everyone mature in Christ. I sort of got, uh, I got writing here. We are the context of conforming. We're the place of perfecting. We're the garden of growing. We're the setting of sanctification. I was having fun as I wrote this. We're, we're, we're the garden of growing. I said that already. We're the topography of transform, transformation. Last night, I like this more than you guys are right now, I think. <laughs> but I press on. We are the incubator. We are the spiritual workout gym. We are the heart transplant hospital. We are the spiritual cocoon. We're the extreme makeover TV show. In other words, the church is a place for change. And those that want that will flock to it, and those that don't, won't. So how about you? Is it your desire to be more like our Savior? And if so, do you see the purpose of this church as being that? Are we a club? Are we a little get-together sort of place to eat our crumpets and talk about our families and just say nice little spiritual things to one another? Or are we a place for change? We see what Paul thought it ought to be. So what about Bethel Church? All right? There's the text... What about us? As we see what Paul's purpose was and what God's purpose is for the church, what about our church and how are we doing with that? I'd like to read to you from our doctrinal statement, which gives the purpose of our church, at least on paper, and I know it's one thing to have it on paper, it's another thing to have it in our hearts, but here's what it says. And listen, and you tell me if, if this echoes Colossians 1, Bethel Church exists, To glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, who worship and exalt Him in all things. We strive to fulfill this purpose as we devote ourselves to the preaching, study, and application of God's Word. Seek the Lord in earnest prayer. Experience the power of authentic, life-changing fellowship. And engage our community and the world with the gospel of Christ. What do you think? Is that good? Okay. That's good, I think. Now, it's wonderful to have that on a piece of paper, isn't it? It's a whole other thing for a, a congregation to be united around a single purpose and to realize and to be reminded of, why are we here? And what is this whole thing all about? Lest we get a little too comfortable in our comfortable chairs... And think it's about us. It is not. We don't want our church to ever slip into ritual without reality. And there are entire denominations that you could point to, I think accurately, that have become ritual without reality. Going through the motions, but not really getting why we're doing what we're doing and who we're doing it for. And we want better here at Bethel. So, towards that end, a reminder of our vision for our church, the kind of church that we want to be. We see in Paul, he says, I want to make the word of God fully known. I want to be a, I want to proclaim Christ. So too, our vision for our church is that we would be a church that is a proclaiming and a teaching congregation. Listen to a few verses later, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What are we to be about? One of the things we're to be about is the proclaiming and the treasuring of truth. And i said it for a long time around here. I'll keep saying it. I want our church to have the reputation in this community, and now in the larger Chicagoland area, that if you want to hear the Bible, go to Bethel. Bethel's a church. Go there, you better better have your Bible with you. Talk about the Bible all the time. Why are those sermons so long there? They seem to drag on and on. Why do we give significant time to preaching and teaching? Because we see this as a valuable disciple-making tool that God has given us. And so they're going to continue to drone on and on as we proclaim him. It's not just the, uh, the pulpit in the auditorium, though. It goes beyond that to all of the pulpits in this church... And what we're wanting is a culture of learning and growing. A culture, a mindset here. You know, last week I didn't preach, I was here, I just didn't preach. And I, I love those weekends because it gives me an opportunity to kind of be around and walk around. And so, last weekend, I think I attended... First service on Sunday and then second service I just walked around the church seeing all the different ministries that are going on. And if you were walking with me, you'd walk down the hallway, I went in the classroom and there's a marriage killers class at Pastor Gary's teaching from the Bible, Biblical Truth for Marriage, and I, I left there, and I went upstairs uh, to, the, uh, to the student center, and there was a class of, of third through fifth graders, a whole bunch of kids, and they whispered to me, we had 90 here last week, and the, teacher, the person was like, <sighs> you know, uh, which is wonderful that we would have 90 kids in one service learning the Bible, and we love that, and so I watched that going on, and I left there, and I went down, and I went into the Children's Ministry Center, and went room to room, and everywhere I went, I saw nursery, they weren't doing this, they were just rocking them but all the the other ones there was teaching and things going on that we're trying to communicate to our children the glory of Christ and the gospel and the story of redemption and, and all the rest and how thankful we are for all of the ministries that are going on so I, I see that over and over and over and over again and And to realize in our church that we have, like last weekend, we handed out a, uh, I think it's about a 200-page curriculum for our small groups that we wrote and prepared ourselves so that our church could study uh, and be reminded of what it means to be a church that is oriented outwardly. Love that. I taught a class on Trinity yesterday morning to a group of men who showed up here at 8 a.m. to study on a Saturday to study the Trinity and we have biblical counseling going on as we can help people in applying biblical truth in a particular situation in their life and that's kind of the point is that everywhere you go around here we want to be a church where you keep bumping into truth you keep bumping into a treasuring of God's word and that has to go beyond the people that are standing up here and teaching it it needs to be a culture here and we've got that but we want more of that. Where there's a a mindset of learning. Where there's a treasuring of truth in a way that that discussions about the Bible in small groups are very comfortable. Where people are reading good Christian literature and are all about that. Podcasting. Sermons from people around the country. As they run and prepare for the Bethel 5K. Running down the road. Listening to the sermon of somebody from California. Why? Because it takes the mind off the pain (laughs) as they do it. But do you get what I'm saying? And are you with me? Doesn't sound like it. Are you with me in this? Are we in this together? Is what we want. Second thing is that we desire to be a discipling, equipping church. The process of making people into the likeness of Christ is the process of discipling them. And that goes beyond just the head. It goes to the heart and to the hands and the way that I live my life on all kinds of practical levels. To be actively making disciples of our members and families and our children. Notice, I think, interestingly, the word that's repeated in there is all, or translated in the ESV, everyone. Admonishing all. Teaching all. That we may present all mature in Christ. In other words, we're not letting people slip through the cracks. This is, a, this is an everybody together sort of thing. And this is where our church's ministry ministries are so important. Our church is more than what happens here for this hour. You know that, don't you? To be a part, really, of our church is way more than just coming and being a part of this little thing that we're doing right here. This is an important part of our ministry, but it is certainly not the sum of it. And that's why we talk with you often about, for example, being a part of a small group which is in our church's ministry, a context for people to connect with other believers and to have a place where you can pray, fellowship, serve, and encourage one another, which is a part of New Testament Christianity. Or to talk about service opportunities, women on a mission or whatever. These aren't just things we're throwing out there. Wouldn't it be nice if people came? We're doing them because it is part of what it means to disciple and equip the church. So do you see why we're doing that? Okay, Why we do what we do? We want to present everyone mature in Christ. I want to just say a quick word about the children and teenage ministries here at our church. I am, I am glad and remain committed to a special effort for our children. We got all kinds of people in our church from all kinds of backgrounds. I don't have any problem saying that we are going to, if push comes to shove, we're going to give priority to the children. And to reach their hearts before the world does And to get Jesus firmly planted there. I'm thankful for leaders, uh, staff leaders, Melissa Anderson, Jennifer Botsett, Jim Pitts, Travis Walker, all of their ministry staff and the hundreds of volunteers who give effort to discipling our children. We are very, very thankful for you. We also believe that the best incubator for Christianity is the home. And that group is working hard to to better partner what we're doing in the church with what's going on in the home so that those two are coming together. Listen to Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Well, now there's a novel thought, don't you think? What is the purpose of church leadership? So that we're the ones that are doing, we're doing all the heavy lifting? No. How much can one person do, really? Not that much. How much can thousands of people do? Oh boy. But for that to happen, the thousands need to realize that we are in this together. We don't want any freeloaders around here. Just sucking us dry. Take, 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 no give. That's not Christianity, my friend. It's not. And that's not the role of the leadership to do all of the heavy lifting. So if somebody comes to you and says, hey, do you have any ministers at your church? You might go, well, let me think a second. There's Pastor Steve, there's Pastor Brad. Wait, who are the ministers here? Right here, okay? Right here. And we need to renew our vision as a congregation that we are all pulling together. Amen? Amen. And as we serve the Lord together, we are conformed to the likeness of the Lord together because serving is a part of how God makes us like Christ who served and gave his life for us. If you're interested in more about our discipleship strategy, we have a little booklet like this that's available in the back that talks about some of the more specific ways that we go about doing that. I would encourage you to check that out. The third thing I want to quickly mention is an energized church. He says in verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Notice, I love the balance here. He calls ministry toil and struggle. Amen to that. I will heartily amen that. In fact, the word there for struggle, it's it's a form of the word agony. Amen to that as well. And see, you've got to realize that. Some of you are like, oh, let's, let's go do ministry together. And then you get into it and you go home and you're like, that was hard. <laughs> God must not be in it because it was hard work doing that. Just realize it is on the front end here and be okay with it. But notice the balance here. It is hard work for us, but who is the one that is energizing this? And who is the one that is doing it? His energy that he powerfully works within me. In other words, what is really going on here on the surface may look like a group of people toiling and laboring, but the real energy behind this is God himself. We need his strength. We need his power. It is the Holy Spirit that animates these holy desires in us to serve him. So that it doesn't, in the end, depend on us. we it's like, it's like trying to make a wave and then surf on it. You ever seen anybody try to do that? Well, Pastor Steve, nobody can make a wave. That's the point. <laughs> we don't make the waves, we ride the wave. And God is the one that... And then we're getting up on the board. And just riding it. Because he's the one that is, in the end, doing it. So where God is at work, we ought to be at work. And God is at work at Bethel Church. And we are profoundly thankful for that. And look forward to more of that in the future by his grace. But let's not forget the goal here. The goal here is not the doing, but the changing and the being. The goal here is the coming day when we will be presented before the Lord. And I'd like for you to envision right now that this up here is kind of like that throne room and that God himself is there. And there's coming a day when it's Bethel Church's opportunity. You know, we're, we're being presented uh, before the Lord. And I, uh, here Scott, come up come here with me. I look forward to that day. I don't know if this will be my role, but maybe it will be. One by one, for me to be able to say, Hey, Lord, this is Scott. And I want to tell you that in my time of ministry with Scott, I saw him uh, lose his job. And during that time was when he really engaged in ministry. And from that point on, he gave himself to our student ministry, played in the worship band, uh, spent time with young people, and he and his wife really gave themselves to uh, the young people and the children of our church and you know doesn't that doesn 't that remind you of your son who cared for children and who ministered to them and and and, and was faithful in serving. Others doesn't doesn't he kind of look look like him? And I imagine I imagine the father saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Okay. Amen. Sit down right there, okay? Sit down over there. And then and then maybe to have have a moment. Marcello, come up here a second, if you don't mind. For me to be able to say, hey, God, I want to show somebody else to you here. This is, uh, this is Marcello. And, Lord, I know you know the story, but I just want to remind you that Marcello spent many years apart from you where he didn't care for you at all. And it impacted his life and his family in so many ways. But there came a time in his life when he humbled himself before your mighty hand. And got his thinking straight. And he began to love and to give of himself for his wife and his family. And most importantly, he wanted to do your will in his life. And we all saw the big change in his life. And God, doesn't that remind you of your son who gave of himself for others? That the love expression was a giving love for others? Don't you see how he resembles your son? And I have to believe, yeah. well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. Praise God. Look forward to that day, Marcello. Just <laughs> sit down right here, okay? I'm, I'm, walking, uh, I'm walking aimlessly. I see a number of people I could maybe pick, I could maybe pick next. Um, Roy, why don't you come up here a second? Father, this is Roy, and I know you know his story as well, but Roy was a faithful man, faithful to you for so many years. How long have you been a Christian, Roy? 30 30 or 40 years. And he stuck it out. I remember him having physical problems, and he trusted in you and what you could do through those times. And doesn't that remind you of your son who, even when times were tough, prayed to you, not my will, but your will be done? Doesn't he kind of, don't you don't just, don't just see it in him? And I have to believe that the Lord will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And won't that be a happy day? Amen. Amen, Amen for that, Roy. We pray that happen. Let's grab a seat right there if you will. And, and here's the point, everyone. Your time is coming. You will stand before God. And the purpose of this time in life and the purpose of the church is that while I'm living my life, I am conforming to Christ. And I am reflecting his beauty in my life. And I'm looking forward to the day when I will stand mature and complete in him. And to long to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, from our from our Lord. And that's the big picture. And you see how the church fits in that? We're the we're the incubator. We're the we're the workout gym. And in order for this church, for our church to be that, we need everybody here pulling in the same direction. And that means everybody. And I don't know if I'll be standing next to you when you stand before the Lord, but it's my desire that I would be completing Christ. And to be able to present you as well. So let's, this year, let's pull in that direction together. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. Why don't you stand with me for prayer?